Voices have a strong meaning. They share what the eyes cannot see. Voices echo, encourage, empower, and support. Welcome to the Listening to One Another to Grow Strong podcast series. We are inviting you to embark with us on a journey in the work and reflection of the Listening to One Another to Grow Strong program, or L2A for short. L2A is a strength-based, community-driven, and culturally adapted program for Indigenous families and youth. The program is rooted in the principle that family well-being is the cornerstone of individual and community wellness. The program originates out of a collaboration between First Nations communities in British Columbia, Manitoba, Ontario, Quebec, and research teams based out of McGill University. In the delivery and research of LTOA, we are following the different stages of the implementation cycle to learn more about what works, how it works, and who it works for. This podcast series is based on exchanges with partners of the LTOA program and will help us learn more about the implementation cycle. We hope to foster community engagement and connection by listening to each other's stories, passions, and work around the L2A program. We believe this podcast can help us gain insight on how the program works on the ground, and it will allow us to learn from the different individuals involved in the program to grow stronger and inspire people around us. We are your hosts, Nicole, Kristen, and Caroline. Join us while we discuss cultural adaptation and discover how LTOA community partners have taken ownership of the program. Welcome to the second episode of the Listening to One Another podcast series. My name is Caroline Beck. I will be your narrator and guide today. Come with me while we follow a discussion among the L2A core research and implementation team. As a newest member of the L2A team, I had the privilege of interviewing my colleagues and talk about different aspects of programming in the Listening to One Another to Grow Strong project during the COVID-19 pandemic. We had quite a long conversation, so we decided to divide the episode in two parts. The first part that you are listening to right now focuses on implementation during the COVID-19 pandemic. The second part will present reflection on research, ethics and positionality. To start us off, we welcome Dr. Lawrence Kermier, a James McGill professor and director of the Division of Social and Transcultural Psychiatry at McGill University. Dr. Kermier is a principal investigator of the Listening to One Another to Grow Strong project. Dr. Kermier, can you please introduce the LTA project to our listeners? Well, Listening to One Another to Grow Strong is a mental health promotion program for Indigenous youth and their families. It started uh, through an initiative um, between myself and colleagues and Indigenous communities we were working with who were concerned to go beyond a lot of the research that was being done to try to identify risk and protective factors and different things that contributed to mental health and well-being. We'd done a large study on resilience, for example, and communities felt strongly they needed help and support in doing um, some kind of positive intervention that would promote strength. And the Public Health Agency of Canada made available funds for um, um, implementation research, which means really looking at how programs get developed and implanted, how they actually get delivered in different places. So we were able to develop an approach to this mental health promotion program uh, that we call LTO, LTOA for short, that is based on an earlier program developed in the United States, especially for rural communities and youth called Strengthening Families. 
And that program was really based on the idea that having good communication in families, having um, good parenting skills, um, uh, providing a supportive environment, providing uh, boundaries and structure and, and so on, all those in ingredients in, in good family life was kind of the best way to help youth uh, develop, to grow strong and healthy. And it also intended to reduce the risk of youth developing problems related to substance use, to, to drug and alcohol use and so on. So that was a major concern with that program. And it had been shown in some studies to actually be effective, to actually be helpful and make a difference. So we took the skeleton or the framework and some of the content of that program, but turned it into something that could be adapted to the very particular uh, contexts of indigenous communities. Uh, and in particular, to make it centered on the culture and the values and the perspectives of those communities. So the idea is if there's some good ideas in, the, in this program and in other mental health practices that people can make use of, they need to be uh, translated or transformed or rethought in ways that really fit the local values, the language, the worldview, the perspectives, the, the nature of family life, the nature of the community uh, of, of First Nations uh, and uh, other indigenous communities. So rather than just making a single cultural adaptation as though all First Nations communities are the same, we know that that's not true, that there's lots of variation, even if people have shared some common uh, challenges historically and, and uh, even into the present. Uh, so we wanted to design it in such a way that each community or each region or each First Nations could make its own version of the program, essentially. And what they would keep constant uh, is the basic goals of different sessions and the overall program. That is to strengthen well-being, to help, help youth and, and uh, their parents and caretakers to have a strong sense of their own uh, identity, their own cultural identity, their own community identity, their own personal identity and to give them some skills for dealing with different kinds of challenges, um, dealing with difficult emotions, dealing with bullying, um, being able to you know, say no when somebody encourages you to do something that's not healthy for you, uh, you know, being able to think through things in a way that's helpful. So the, some of the basic ingredients of, of mental well-being uh, that are present in every community, but that young people need sometimes help and, and encouragement to develop in, in a strong way. And not only the, the individual young people, but their whole families. So the L2A program uh, presents some of those kinds of ideas, uh, but after it's been culturally adapted by the community, it presents those things in a way that is very much in the local language and the local perspectives of the community. So people see a reflection of their own their own values, their own worldview, uh, at the same time as they're maybe being reminded or, of or getting some new ideas about how to deal with certain kinds of challenges in life and in growing up to be healthy and strong. So as you can imagine, the COVID-19 pandemic presented unprecedented barriers for community-driven mental health promotion programs like the LTOA. Due to restrictions, Indigenous community partners across Canada have been unable to deliver the LTA program. With programming on temporary pause, the LTA team reflected on the need to strengthen and expand the LTA community of practice. But what is a community of practice exactly? 
What does it look like in the L2A project? Let's listen to the team. So actually, uh, I've been quite new to program. I started in the summer um, 2020, and I've been noticing in conversation with you guys, and when I read the program newsletters, website, I, there's the expression of community of practice comes back a lot. And I was wondering if for uh, a listener, you could uh, explain what, what is a community of practice and what does it look like in L2A case? Nicole, yeah, of course. So. I saw this news, Nicole, you're the research coordinator of the program and you've been working with L2A for five years now in, in implementation and no mainly in research capacity. So I'll let you go. Okay, great. So basically um, the way we have come to define community of practice in the program is that it's a group of people who share a common passion, interest or concern and the idea is that through the LTOA program, we foster connections between different communities um, and different processes that are taking place both at the community level and then also in terms of research. So in the LTOA program, the community of practice can extend from best practices on the ground in the implementation of the program, and also what are some of our research practices that we're partaking in, in having um, the, the program understood better in its processes, its impact and its outcome. So a community of practice brings together um, scholars and practitioners into this space. That's very cool. Thank you for this. Michaela, I can see, I. Uh you wanted to add something you've been a so you've been a research assistant for the three years now of the program mm -hmm. and Mikhail has been part of both research and implementation and especially training of partners and outreach of the program yeah so um you know in building a community practice it's something that we had started a few years ago and one of our first steps was making an uh, and creating a quarterly newsletter so this was something that was um first initiated in spring of 2019 uh, and at the time we had our creative genius Mia around. So she uh, did a beautiful job on the first one. Um, and yeah, it's just like something that we, I think it's enjoyable to put together. I think it's um, helpful to reflect on because it's quarterly, you know, you have that reflection every couple of months of what has happened, um, what is coming up and to be able to share that with um, anyone who's interested in, like it's not just for L2A partners, it's also for the greater uh, community um, of practice, right? Uh, we have like a litserv going of people who have expressed interest in the program, and it also goes out within the networks that Dr. Kermayer is part of as well. Um, so in our newsletters, you'll typically find uh, our work uh, for the L2A program, so on both the research and implementation side of it. Sometimes we'll have little um, descriptions of training sessions. Like Michelle and I wrote one when we went to the PAW, which was very fun and very cold. It's like minus 50 when we were there. Uh, but that was a really exciting thing to talk about and share. And then we also kind of bring up anything um, that is relevant within the research realm. So uh, Tristan's toolkit will be featured uh, or his work on the toolkit will be featured in the next newsletter. And that's something that we uh, are hoping to get out very soon. And then of course, we love highlighting the amazing L2A partners. So we do spend 
some time on the phone. Uh, we try to do like a spotlight of the month or the, the newsletter and uh, call up one of our partners and have a chat uh, and talk about their engagement with the program and also just about their personal life. I think we use that also as a way to catch up with each other and connect. And uh, it's always a really great experience to, to do that. And yeah, I, Michelle, anything to add in terms of the social media? Actually, uh, Michelle, you're the national coordinator of the LTA project. You've been in charge of the implementation of the program as well as funding and administration for two years now. Yeah, well, I think, you know, this, you know, the creation of the newsletter was really just um, a way to sort of solidify and strengthen um, the community of practice and, you know, to share not only what is coming out of the central team in McGill, but also, you know, um, what our partners are doing on the ground and, and the successes, um, you know, and their accomplishments uh, throughout this program. Um, and sort of to harness a, a little bit more of that energy, we've really tried to, um, you know, get onto social media and and take advantage of each of those platforms. Um, we originally had, um, you know, a Facebook group that uh, was sort of like a bit like a family where people who had been through the program or facilitators could use uh, this space um, as an opportunity to connect and, and to share experiences from um, the program, but it was more of a closed group. So we now have, um, you know, a page where people can just access basic information on the program, connect with us. Um, so we've hopefully uh, that will create a larger presence um, within within Facebook. Um, we know we've gotten on the Instagram train, the Twitter train, um, and really, you know, trying to understand how each of those platforms are used um, and, you know, what specific audience each of those uh, platforms target. Um, so we're really trying to um, take advantage of the data that um, comes from each of those platforms yeah. and, and how we can better engage, um, you know, communities and partners or new partners um, academics, um, you know, other community organizations uh, to get the, the word out about LTOA, mm -hmm. um, you know, much like, you know, I, I think we're continuing to learn how to best engage and, and utilize each of these platforms. So it's definitely a work in progress, but we're so fortunate to have uh, Leah who um, come came to this program under the global mental health program um you know really take a lead on on this and you know sort of teach us all about some of the strengths um uh that come from uh you know these different platforms so again definitely definitely a work in progress but we're we're happy to be you know on these different platforms to share different aspects of the program um yeah yeah like I think Instagram over time is becoming the newer thing. It's more accessible, it's more engaging. Uh, so that we've seen like tremendous growth in the last few months, especially with Leah at the helm. Um, it's been really great. Newsletter and social media can be such a great tool for organizations. I asked the team next if their approach to social media changed since the COVID-19 pandemic started. I think now more than ever, this sort of uh, outreach or these ways to foster connection uh, and community is like more important during the pandemic. One of the biggest aspects of the community of practice, especially during COVID-19, 
has been in fostering connection. And now that we don't have the ability to be face-to-face, -to, -face, to interact with communities, to interact even with each other in the, in the team, the central team, um, we needed to, I guess, create spaces that would allow us to continue this work remotely. And I think um, although COVID-19 um, brings us with immense challenges of restriction and distancing. Um, there's something to be said about some of the moments that it has created. Now more than ever, uh, digital connection has been growing faster. Uh, we have been seeing each other in meetings um, more than we would have if we were in an office space or interacting by phone with communities. And our social media has been one of our main avenues of connecting with people during this time. And we've definitely grown from that. Absolutely. I think we've also connected with other organizations too, which has been really great. Um, we share each other's posts and, and like each other's um, things as well. And that kind of bridges connections within um, people who are doing the same work as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Actually, in, in terms of online um, meetings and programming, I, I was wondering if uh, some of you would like to talk about a bit of our of the partner meeting that has been happening uh, with L2A and what does it look like to continue to build this relationship with partners? Right, so I wanted to sort of backtrack just a little bit um, and talk just a touch about our two I'd seen evaluation um, gatherings that we have yearly and, you know, this is an opportunity um, for, you know, community partners who've been associated with the program uh, to come together in person, um, you know, to, to connect, to learn from one another, to share experiences um, around the program, to talk about successes, barriers, etc. Um, so, you know, this is really where you know the the community of practice I feel really you know really stems from um, and so we've thought about different ways that we can you know continue um, you know this connection this vibe um, through partner mm -hmm. meetings and you know we've have used to do this by phone um, prior to COVID-19 but um, you know, we've we've moved on to the the virtual space using Zoom and, and other platforms where, you know, we can actually see each other. And um, so these partner meetings are essentially um, an extension of the two I'd seen evaluation uh, gatherings that we we'd we would used to have in, in person um, each August in Montreal. Um, but these, these meetings have allowed us to continue these connections to, you know, share um, experiences around the program. Uh, you know, if we're coming out with some new materials or, you know, wanting to have some, some subgroups around building out toolkits, et cetera, these partner meetings have allowed us to have those conversations, um, but, you know, still at the core, it, like Nicole had said, it's really just about, about that connection. So, you know, we're still trying to figure out, um, you know, the right sort of pattern, if you will, um, you know, how much do we meet for how long, uh, you know, what format. Um, we know that people are, are very busy um, and we know that these, um, you know, we've all moved to these online spaces where we can have, you know, meeting after meeting after meeting. So we, we do really want to be 
um, cognizant of our, our partner's time and ensure that we, you know, we build up this a safe space that, you know, is meaningful as well. Um, so we're still trying to, you know, uh, honestly figure out that format, but we're still happy to, you know, host these meetings and, and offer that space for, for connection. I think it's pretty great. And the fact that been able to, to do this and host this partner meeting gatherings, um, I have some very exciting things happening here and I really like, you know, sharing new materials. And I think it, it fosters really these types of interpersonal relationship that seems to be very important in, in LTOA. And when I, when you were thinking, uh, when you were, when you, when you guys were speaking, it made me think of also some of the new connection that uh, started to also exist thanks to the social media and participating to um to these partner meetings and that leads to maybe new partnership um i was wondering if uh michelle you wanted to to talk a bit uh about this and about how um how actually the pandemic and the fact that we've what else has been more present online maybe um came to fruition with new uh new relationship here yeah, sure. So um, I'm going to sort of go into a, a couple different avenues here. Um, you know, one being um, the opportunity I've had to connect with partners through uh, our funding. Uh, the Pathy Family Foundation has started a peer-to-peer -peer, um, online uh, gathering space where, you know, each uh, quarter uh, will come together and um, uh, connect and share much like we would at, at our LTOA partner meetings, um, but we would come together with different organizations across Canada um, who are working uh, with Indigenous communities uh, specifically uh, to come together to, you know, sort of the same thing, connect and share experiences, talk about barriers, successes, um, etc., how to be um, a, an ally, an advocate, um, uh, anywhere to, you know, talking about cultural adaptation and programming, much like we would, um, to ensuring youth voice and programming. So that's been a really wonderful space that has actually, um, you know, fostered many new connections with, with organizations that we have come to spotlight um, within our LTOA newsletter. Um, and, you know, it's also led me to, you know, becoming part of, um, this leadership course that, you know, also is bringing together, you know, Pathy partners who are working um, in the North and we're, we're talking about, you know, conflict resolution to uh, empathy to um, uh, communication styles to leadership styles. And that's just been also a really good opportunity to build connections with people who are working on the ground with Indigenous communities. Um, I will say that, um, you know, these online spaces have allowed people uh, to, you know, take part in conferences or to take part in spaces that they may not necessarily have had, would have had the opportunity to join into if they had to travel to this place or th that place. Um, so we actually had the opportunity to participate um, in the Indigenous Wellness um, Virtual Training Conference. Um, and Lawrence, uh, myself, and our partner at uh, CMMNS, Caitlin, uh, joined in in one of the sessions to talk about uh, mental health, mental health programming, um, and 
Caitlin was able to share some uh, information from the ground and some, sorry, some best practices uh, from the ground. And that was really a good opportunity for us to talk about LTOA um, and really start to introduce it uh, a little bit better in, in the East Coast, because uh, that, that uh, training conference was really uh, centered around uh, the East Coast and communities there. Um, but we've had some really good success from that. We've had a couple people um, reach out to us to learn more about the program. And we've actually been able to secure two training um, opportunities with, uh, with two community organizations. And I hope that that'll just be the start of something really, really good and, and be able to build up a really strong uh, and resilient um, community of practice, if you will, uh, in the East Coast. So very exciting stuff. It is, it is very exciting. And these, uh, these new trainings will, will happen soon. How do you envisage online training? How, how have you been planning for this? For sure. I, I love training. It was one of uh, my favorite aspects of, of this position. And I love it because we can come together in a space and learn and share. Um, and I, I really do get into it. I know, Michaela, you've seen me. Uh, You're amazing. It's so fun. <laughs> like trainings are so fun. They have and every emotion that goes through it. And it's beautiful. It. It's a really great experience. That's it. So I think that's one of the, the things that I really want to make sure still comes across in this virtual setting. So we try to make trainings as experiential as possible where potential or future facilitators have the opportunity to think through and reflect what families and youth might feel uh, while engaging in this program and also what uh, they will feel um, and accomplish as facilitators. So um, I'm really excited for it. I'm hoping that we can sort of carry through some of those um, amazing conversations and, and that vibe that I like to create during trainings. Um, so after, after the conference, we've had uh, two community organizations reach out to us and um, we set up phone, uh, Zoom calls with each of those organizations to talk about how they wanted that program or the program training to look and feel. Um, so we've really tried to embed um, their voice and their vision of the training uh, into this virtual training um, atmosphere. Um, so we've had those meetings and have set dates for those. Um, we've got some follow-up meetings as well to ensure that we're on the right track. Um, but for example, for our training uh, with our, uh, with some new uh, folks in, um, in Nova Scotia, you know, we'll have um, elders and knowledge holders coming in to open up and close uh, those meeting days. Uh, we'll also be partnering, um, having our partners, sorry, excuse me, um, at CMMNS to come in and also share their experiences with the program to really start to, like I had mentioned before, to solidify and build those connections uh, in the East Coast and, and that own their own sort of community of practice. Um, so I think it's some really exciting stuff and really looking forward to, you know, training uh, more people in this program. Um, and I think that's just going to open up some some big doors there. And I'm excited mm -hmm. to to share with you, hopefully maybe in another podcast about uh, <laughs> some more training. So we'll be I think that's one of your strengths as a, I think that's one of your strengths as a coordinator. I think um, Michelle always takes the time to learn what, um, potential partners and partners uh, are looking for and building that into it. So it's sort of a co-created training experience and learning session. 
this is very exciting and I'm looking forward to see and attend some of this training and and you know to see what happens and how how can uh, LTA create this vibrant and dynamic community of practice. Our discussion turned next to the podcast series where we reflected about processes and the meaning of creating a podcast during the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, so I think like, as a lot of our activities have shifted because we're not in communities, we're not doing face-to-face -face trainings or research, um, we've had some more time to build our, our repertoire of our knowledge base and to spend this time reflecting on the processes and information of the program. And so the podcast, like the newsletter is another component of this knowledge translation and engagement with partners and also scholars in the area. And I think Michelle, like I remember when COVID-19 first started, we were planning a webinar series And that was meant to be where, you know, we send a Zoom link and everyone can join. And uh, Michelle delivered the first series with success and it was wonderful, but we realized there were some drawbacks with the webinar series. Um, it, one of them was being timing, you know, web, the webinar was a live series. We were trying to connect with communities and partners across the country. Um, trying to account for different time zones, different schedules. And so it made it hard to be together in a space in a, in a live mode. And so um, with the podcast, it makes it much easier because um, we don't need, you don't necessarily need an internet connection. You can download the episodes at your own leisure. You don't need a, a scheduling um, aspect of this it it there are episodes that come out and you can look at it whenever one likes so it allows more access to the content and so we're constantly as michelle had previously said um the process of working our way through the pandemic both in terms of implementation work and also research is is a process of constant pivoting. Um, you know, it's experimental. You try something out, does it work or does it not work? Um, how does it work? Who does it work for? Let's take this information and then build something that works a little bit better. So we're constantly evolving from like a one point, version 1.0 to version 2.0. And um, with each iteration, there are new things that we, we learn in that process. And I mean, Carol, you're the one that has been behind the podcast. So maybe you can reflect on, now I get to be the question asker for one second. Maybe you can reflect on your um, transition into this team as, uh, you know, you just landed in Canada a couple months ago and how it's been integrating within a team that has already existed and integrating with community partners. I think I think it's been a very uh, I like using the word journey. I think it's it's been a very interesting journey to to join the team in during the summer and getting to know you. Also, I never met you, most of you in person. Nicole, you actually is the first one I actually met <laughs> in person. Uh, We live in I, the same neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah, I arrived and she brought me uh, cream cheese and bagels. 
Um, <laughs> it's a must if you live in Montreal. If you haven't eaten a Montreal bagel, then you haven't lived uh, to eat a bagel. I don't even know if that makes sense, but yeah, <laughs> Montreal bagels are where it's at. Um, and really, it's I, I think it's been it's been challenging at times to find a place in in a close knit uh, team to really find which space you're you are gonna be taking and you don't want to take on someone's space also so it's been really interesting going through the motions with this and actually working on the podcast really enabled me to create this space because I was not added to a project I was actually creating something that didn't exist before and I think that was really really exciting and I'll be honest here, I've never done a podcast before. I had never touched a recording um, <laughs> software before this happened. So it's been really a learning uh, process. And I apologize if some of the episodes, sometimes the sounds go haywire because it's, it's just, as, as you said, Nicole, it's really, we're all learning here. And I think it's really exciting uh, to do so. And actually in terms of building relationship, not only with the team, but also with community partners, working with the podcast enabled me to get in touch um, with community partners and having conversation um, with them. And I think it's, it's been really the beginning of, um, of a relationship um, that is so important to be integrated, to really work with, uh, with Indigenous communities and with community partners is really starting to have a chat and and talk and over time develop trust and and strengthen these relationships I'm really excited to be part of this journey um here and to have been supported with all of you to have been you know working research with Nicole to have been working in implementation with Michelle and actually one of the interesting thing also that we've been working on is uh with Michelle also this we've been meeting weekly to go through the program and she really helped me navigate uh, several aspects of uh, of L2A and get to know where does activity come from and how would we deliver this and how would it look like in training because if I'm here to help to help her facilitate training knowing where it comes from and knowing how it is actually done in practice is really um, is really interesting so I feel really grateful for this and hopefully one day <laughs> we'll be able to meet in person <laughs> somewhere uh so that would be also very uh, very cool so yeah um i guess going back to the podcast thing it also gave us an opportunity to meet new people as well that we wouldn't originally met because in our first podcast recording with caitlin and katie um the name mary louise came up and we were kind of asking oh who is that and then um, you know, we got our, our contact information. We just reached out and said, you know, we're doing this podcast. We'd love to hear from you and more of your work. And if you're willing to talk, we'd, you know, we'd love to talk. And she said yes. So, you know, we're able to reach out and grow networks and connections as well as a big part of it too. Exactly. She's a really beautiful person also. And yeah, really uh, listen to the first podcast if you haven't listened to it uh, yet. A shameless I, plug to exactly. listen to the first one. <laughs> Um, okay, so actually, we, when we've been talking a lot about uh, harnessing technology and working uh, with community partners, so we've been working together as a team and also with uh, community partners across Canada, but also there's been some interesting work that has been 
ongoing with uh, other um, partnerships during COVID. And I was wondering if you guys wanted to talk about this uh, new toolkit you developed. Yeah, so um, I'll start and maybe Michaela, you can jump in. Um, so part of the work in LTOA has been developing resources and toolkits. And with the, the advent of the pandemic, um, we were trying to figure out, okay, well, we can't meet face-to-face -face for programming. So how can we use existing resources that are easily available and um, widely available for everyone to use to mobilize ways of interacting and connecting? And so um, most recently we came out with a toolkit called um, Mobilizing Technologies. I don't know the exact title, but when uh, maybe Michaela, you can like jump in. The toolkit's name, the full name, and I understand why you forgot the whole of it because it is quite large, but it's Cell Phone Connections and Community, Harnessing Technologies to Foster Community Communication and Connection. So um, it was basically collaboration between the Listening to One Other program, uh, the Institute for Human Development and Wellbeing at McGill, and the Participatory Cultures Lab at McGill that I believe, uh, Nicole, did, did you reach out to them or how did that connection grow? Yeah, so the way we came together um, is the PI of the Participatory Cultures Lab and the Institute for Human Development and Wellbeing is Professor Claudia Mitchell at McGill and the Department of Education. And um, her and I are currently on another project for asylum seeking and refugee um, mental health for families and youth. And so that project was just beginning when the pandemic hit and we didn't even get a chance to do any programming in communities. So we were trying to think about how now, before we could even begin, before we could even meet anyone, do we, do we pivot into a different um, realm of engagement? And so mm -hmm. Claudia has a lot of uh, summer interns that she gets each summer um, through the global health programs at McGill. And we too, we, every for the past couple of summers, we've been receiving a summer intern. Um, in our case, it was uh, Leah. And so between her team and LTOA, we decided to come together with the young people because who knows technologies better than young people? Um, <laughs> And we, we spent weeks brainstorming on, okay, you, you're a community organization, you wanna provide services, you can't meet, how do you do that? How do you do that with, with resources and tools you already have? And we decided, okay, a cell phone would be a, a resource everyone has that we can engage with and, and map out activities and Michaela, was actually the student on our team that took the lead on this project. So maybe Michaela, you want to run through a little bit more of that? Yeah, so we started working together in, in May uh, 2020 with the other team and it was a really great process to just sort of figure out how to conceptualize this toolkit. Um, you know, because we, we were also trying to hit the mark of it not necessarily being dependent on internet, although if you had internet that was helpful, but also just something that you could be doing creatively as well with your cell phone that could just be um, if you could share it in a you know like an online way you could but if not just something that could be done and that community organizations could facilitate from a distance so yeah it was such a like it, it's a long process making a toolkit I think a, I think we uh, underestimated like 
the work that goes into it because it's to make something very you know good and uh we thought also about the ethical considerations of okay like you know as an organizer like you know it'd be also helpful to think about you're asking people to upload things like how to moderate that how to think about that um so we really tried to make it as uh encompassing as possible and something that can just like go out now to any community globally it's not specific to the canadian context it's not specific to an indigenous context it's not specific to uh it can be applied in a variety of communities and by a variety of organizations and so we really tried to hit that mark where it was very um accessible and something that could hopefully foster some connection okay cool and you know so this toolkit is will be widely available and is available online uh, as of now so definitely something to to check out um yeah well link below yeah link below <laughs> uh definitely check it out and circulate to whoever you think would be interested we're very proud of it it took a lot of work and um, it was a really great experience to work with the pcl lab and the um, institute for human development and well-being they were great Let's conclude this episode with a reflection from Dr. Kermier. Well, there's no doubt that the pandemic and, and the things that we've all been doing to try to slow the spread of the virus and be safe and, and get through this have had a, a profound impact on every aspect of life. And it's certainly the case for our program. The way this program works, each community is its own uh, center of activity that people are doing things locally and they're doing them in their own local community centers and family life centers or out on the land or in different settings. Uh, but they're meant to be connected to each other, both in the region and across the country, so that Indigenous communities uh, can share their experiences, share their wisdom, share their uh, creative ideas about how to develop and deliver the program. That's always been the intention. The program you know, began with uh, people who are involved with mental health and with, uh, you know, program development kind of um, uh, encouraging it along. But the goal has always been to produce enough material that, and enough uh, raw material that people can work with that we can sort of hand it off to the communities and to the regions and people will just go with it, you know, in, in the directions that are useful for them. To do that, we have to build a strong network or strong community of people who share interests in this area and are, are there to support each other. And in particular, the idea that different indigenous communities could be supporting each other, both in their regions, like within a single First Nations, let's say, or neighboring nations, but even across the country from the West Coast to the East and so on, that there's a lot that people could really share and really find interesting and encouraging. So we want people to make those connections. In the past, one of the main ways we've made those connections, we've had occasional teleconferences where people would sort of call in and we talk together. But one of the main ways we've done that is by having an annual meeting. Uh, usually in Montreal, sometimes in, we've had it once in Winnipeg, we've had it in different places where we try to bring people together and we're together face to face for a couple of days and we all share our experiences with the program and people get to know each other and make friendships and, and uh, feel that they can sort of, you know, um, uh, uh, contact each other later to follow up and so on. So that's been our main vehicle. It's a slow process. It's an intense process. But because people make that commitment to come and spend the time together, it, it makes you know, strong connections. 
The situation now with COVID uh, really changes that. We can't bring people together for the time being in the same way. Uh, that's the downside. The upside is that theoretically, at least, it's very easy to connect. We only, we're all just a phone call away or, or a Zoom call or a Skype call or whatever we use online. So ideally, that should mean that it's easy for all of us to connect. However, everybody's also kind of saturated with spending time on Zoom and spending time on video. So the, after the initial novelty wore off of being able to see somebody far away and have a video conference, which seems kind of, you know, uh, to me, when I was a child, this was like science fiction of the, the distant future that we'd have video conferences. Now we have them on our watch or our phone, never mind in a conference room. Uh, but the reality, as I say, is that we're all kind of, um, you know, filled with uh, too many uh, opportunities, too, many, too much time on the screen. And it's not obviously not the same thing. Even if you spend an hour chatting with somebody on the screen, it's not the same thing as being in the physical presence of someone, of being able to talk together, being in the same place, of, of going for a walk together, of of uh, really sharing in all the ways that people can share when they're together. So I think that's a challenge. I think that everyone feels both that the, the, the video connection is good for some things, but not for all forms of communication. And that after a while, as I say, it becomes much less appealing. It's not, it's not very much fun because many of us are spending altogether too much time already online. So I think that's been one of the challenges that in principle, people want to connect when they do get a chance to be together face to face or when they can share a really um, important experience together, then it does make a strong connection. Uh, but just being told, come to a meeting online, I think is not the most uh, exciting thing for most people. What, what maybe is important is when people do make that connection or, or devote that time, and when people tell important personal stories about the successes they've had with the program or the challenges they faced uh, personally and, and with the people that they're working with, then I think people begin to feel a sense of connection. And so I think we have continued to build the network despite all the challenges of, of uh, having to do everything right now through uh, video conferencing and, and tools like that. Folks, this is all for today. You can hear the following L2A discussion about research, ethics and positionality during the COVID-19 pandemic by clicking on the next episode. You can also check out our description for the resources mentioned in the video. Thank you for listening to this episode. We would love to hear from our listeners. How did the COVID-19 pandemic impact your organization? How did you maintain your community of practice? Let us know in the comments below. I would like to shout out to Jeff Wells who composed the music of the podcast specially for us. And many thanks to the L2A team for their support in this endeavor. Join us on this journey and stay tuned for new episodes soon. Don't forget to keep up to date with L2A News by checking out our website www.magill.ca/mhp or following us on Facebook and Instagram. And lastly, don't forget to follow, like and share this second episode. See you soon!